Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Good to see you. Um, I kind of share uh, John's disorientation of like, I feel like we haven't done church for a month, but we did church last week. We just didn't do it the week prior, so here we are. So this is like our beginning of the year, which is really exciting. Um, so welcome, everyone. My name is Ryan. Um, I see a new, few new faces here, so uh, you're more than welcome. Uh, thank you for that, and I apologize in advance for how many introverts there are in the room. We're not great with new people, but we're really we're getting there. 2023 is the year that we, we learn how to be more outwardly focused. I was actually telling somebody recently, I was like, I was like you realize how much of our church exists to accommodate my deficiencies, like that I'm not good at, with meeting with new people, so charity kills it with the engagement team, more because I can't stand there and shake hands, like as soon as I like step off this stage, like I'm done. So it's all good that we just, we, we know our deficiencies and uh, continue to accommodate. You coming, Maddie? Yeah, I Great. Taking notes? Oh, I love it. So studious. Huh? New Year's resolution, take more notes. Love it. So um, today we are talking about the communal vision uh, in our community. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about how we do vision. We're going to talk about what that vision is, and then you're going to have some time to just kind of sit with it and think about it and and talk with one another about what you anticipate in it. Um, I think a lot of times at this you know, at this point in the year, we're talking about resolutions, we're talking about goals, and I personally think there's nothing wrong with those things if you want to, you know, you want to get healthier or you want to get your financial house in order, whatever it is. I think all of that's great. That's not what we're doing when it comes to vision. And I don't think that that's what vision from the Lord is. Um, Because I think it's easy for us, actually, to create plans and programs uh, that are kind of prescriptive. Here's where we're going. Here's what we're going to do. By the end of it, we should be able to have this measurement system to know we've accomplished these goals. And the problem that I have with that a lot of times is as human beings, we very naturally just leave the Lord behind in all of that, don't we? Like we take it upon ourselves to like hashtag crush it, and then we do the thing and we achieved it, and God was never actually part of it in any way, like way, shape, or form. And I'm always reminded, you know, when we talk about communal vision, Um, of Israel coming out of Egypt, coming out of slavery of Egypt, and that slavery being that they had no identity, that they had no understanding of their purpose, um, that in a a really particular way, they are a traumatized people, that God brings them into the desert to rehabilitate them, uh, to bring them back to life, to remind them of who they really are, and to give them a sense of purpose. Um, And they were always talking about the promised land. The promised land was kind of their vision. And what we see time and again in that story is that Israel comes to them, comes to God or indirectly comes to God through Moses and says, okay, what can we expect? What's it going to look like? What are the numbers? What are the parameters? How should we prepare for this? Like what's coming? And God's response is always, I'm with you. And Israel would always say, yep, that's great. So anyway, what does it look like? What do we expect? How do we crunch the numbers? Like what app do I need to download in order to really get going? He says, no, I'm with you. And there was this, I mean, it was literally, it was 40 years of that 
Because I think what, what Yahweh wanted to imprint upon his people is like, if, if you don't understand first and foremost that, you are, that I am with you and you're with me, the promised land is never really the promised land. It's just another patch of dirt in the Middle East, you know? And that's what it is for us when we become so overly prescriptive in either our communal vision as City Beautiful Church or next week when we talk about personal vision that we have so many defined expectations of what, it's, what we think it's supposed to be and how it's supposed to look and how we're going to get there. We lose that, that invitation to intimacy with God um, and that God will guide us. And I think if, if we do vision well, Actually, what it should happen is we go, what does this mean? And we go, I don't know. And isn't that wonderful? Like, then the whole year becomes a year of surprise and delight as we see where God is leading us. And then we look back. I know many of you have been doing that for your personal vision. We look back and we see the threads of what God has done in our story and say, oh my goodness, this came, like this was fulfilled, but in ways that I couldn't possibly have anticipated at the beginning of the year. So uh, I want to begin. Let's talk about last year's vision uh, in 2022. Um, here it comes. From the throne flows a river of renewal. And we talked about these two parts to it. Uh, number one, from the throne. Um, that, you know, we'd spent 2021 really focusing on our allegiance to Jesus as our king, putting him front and center, uh, and a kind of allegiance as this embodied faith, like every part of us being gathered up behind his leadership. And then we kind of pivoted to say, okay, if Jesus is on the throne, how does that change how we see ourselves, how we see the world around us, uh, what our purpose is? And then we focus in on this idea of the river of renewal that flows from that throne, kind of borrowing from a couple different places, from some Psalms, especially from the end of the book of Revelation, that when when Jesus is on the throne, there is this river that flows out into the world and brings a sense of renewal and redemption to all things. And so we spent a lot of the year asking that question, what is being renewed? Sometimes it's taking old things that feel dried up and dead and seeing them brought back to life. And sometimes it's radically new things that God introduces to us um, that are bringing us to life. So that was kind of what we looked at last year. And um, so every year what we do for vision here is we gather leaders together in the month of October, um, our elders, staff, ministry leads, some people that we feel like really have their finger on the pulse of the community. Um, and we get together and we worship and then I send them off with some questions just to inquire of the Lord and give everybody like 30 to 40 minutes. Sorry, I've got my gray hairs are straight, which some of you that have gray hair, you'll know how annoying that is when everything else is curly and it just, like, it just sits like here in my eyeballs. That, if I'm doing this, I'm not insane. I haven't walked through a spider web. Um, so we, I send everybody out with these questions and then we come back and then we begin to share. And it's really just kind of popcorning around the room and seeing what are the, the words, the visions, images, uh, memories, hunches that that God gives different people, and we begin to seek, is there a common thread in what everyone is perceiving? And this is very much what I think is like the New Testament vision, that the Old Testament, Moses is the one who goes up on the mountain on behalf of the people. He receives the word of the Lord, he brings it down, and then he just gives it to the people. But in the New Testament, the Spirit descends upon all people. Everyone is capable of hearing the voice of God. Everyone learns how to become sensitive to the Spirit, 
and then we find what's the common thread. And you see this a lot when they talk about the prophetic, especially in the New Testament. It's always about the testimony of two or three witnesses. Like, is God doing something? Are we picking it up one at a time? So I'm very wary of anybody that ever gets a prophetic word, and they're the only person that's ever heard of that. Like, probably not great. You know what I mean? Like, I've had that in, in prior churches that I've worked at as well, where someone's like, I remember this guy came in, and he goes, I have a word from the Lord. Uh, you'll love this one. He said, um, when boys become men, women will stop taking assumed roles of leadership. Gross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, uh. And to be fair, the women in our community, we had a Facebook group at the time talking about it. And to be fair, the women in the community were amazing. They were like, can you tell us more about that? And he's like, that's just from the Lord. You just have to deal with that. And we're like, no, I don't think so. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, I, but I think that this, that's the spirit moves if we're sensitive enough we're, and we're trying to find that sense of commonality and togetherness. So these are the questions um, in October that our leaders were kind of praying over. Number one, um, what has the throne meant to you this year and how have you seen King Jesus? So we're taking that first part of the, um, of our vision. Like, what has it meant for you to see Jesus on the throne? There was a lot of words that came up there. Um, consistent or consistency was a big part of it. A lot of people were talking about how unshakable Jesus is, that he is the steadfast, he is the foundation. Those are the kind of words that we were recognizing. And I think especially with how tumultuous the world has been over the past couple years, um, seeing the unshakableness of Jesus has been really, really important for us. And the second question, um, where have you witnessed renewal in our community and how have you seen our people? So if we're seeing like, this is what Jesus on the throne has meant to us. What is that river of renewal and how has it tangibly affected our community? There's a lot of really great feedback here. People were talking about how brave all of you are, um, that you have faced things, that there's, there was a tremendous amount of suffering and discomfort in our community, especially over the past year. Um, but you have really pressed in. There was a lot about dedication, people choosing to be present in hard times, um, a lot of people struggling to believe, yet un unwilling to let go. I really, I really liked that one, that um, it's very hard <laughs> to believe in Jesus. Um, a lot of times we sound like we're insane for the things that we believe, um, but being unwilling to let go of that and saying, no, even in the face of adversity, like I'm still going to hold on to uh, Jesus as our king. Um, there was a lot of talk about regrowth through the pandemic. Of course, like many churches, I think 73% of Christians changed churches during the pandemic. Um, and of course, the amount of, and that's nationwide, but of course, the amount of people who have left the church over the past two years is monumental as well. And speaking of you know, personal vision, it was January 2020 that the Lord gave me the word apocalypse, and I thought it was just for me, but you know, that turned out different. Um, so this sense of regrowth through the pandemic, like so many people have found our community kind of from Advent 2020 when we started regathering and then through these past two years and people finding us in that time, but now you are finding each other and now you're choosing in with one another. And that inevitable choosing in comes with the discomfort of knowing and being known. Uh, and a lot of times we measure health in a community by whether or not there is conflict, right? That's what we think. 
um, as soon as there's conflict, this relationship, community, etc., must be unhealthy, so I have to go somewhere where there is no conflict. But in reality, any kind of relationship or community where there is a lack of conf- conflict means that it's profoundly unhealthy because people are not choosing in. Because I don't know if you know this about you, you are very difficult. You are not an easy, you're, de- you're a delightful person, but you're not easy to be with. Um, and that doesn't show up. Like, we don't know that about you until about six months in. Or if you've known Daniel as long as I have, you're just like, wow, that guy, you know? Um, there was a lot of talk about spiritual maturity, seeing, um, and, and we're a community that believes you can't separate out spiritual maturity from emotional maturity and, and other kinds of maturity. Like, we grow as a whole person. But through this time, we've really continued um, to, to grow up, to become more mature in our faith uh, and a, a real sense of endurance. So that was a lot of the phrases or words that your leaders uh, listened for and heard from the Holy Spirit. And so I took all of that and then, uh, kind of through November sat and prayed for it and asked the Lord for the common thread that would be our vision for 2023. And so this is our vision for 2023. Ew. Yeah. Be strong and take heart. And Hunter, again, you knocked it out of the park. What a great, what a great design. It's very us. There's like bloody hearts and people in, you know, I think is that, yeah, loincloths. It's very us. Um, so this, this was the vision. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I think my sentiment is the more that we do this, like there's a lot of things in our community. We were even talking about the elder meeting on Friday. There's, there's things that we have implemented over the years that as we come back around, it, we go, oh, yeah, this is what we do. This is how we do it. Um, and seeing that with the way that we have chosen to do vision for our community, you go, yes, of course, this is how we do this. We come together. We inquire of the Lord. We seek these common threads. We don't need it to be prescriptive. We don't need it to be measurable. We don't need, even need to understand what it means, but we're going to choose to pursue the Lord. Um, it just feels like, yeah, this is very much us. So the third question that um, I had our, our leaders pray over was essentially, um, what do you feel like is on the horizon for our community? Like, where is the Lord taking us next? And the most common words were strength and strengthening. That this is going to be a year where God is going to strengthen us communally. He's going to strengthen us individually. And as I was praying about it, I felt like there was almost two parts to this. Um, That in one way, God is going to call us to recognize the strength that we already have because of Jesus, um, which is incredibly important that we recognize that, especially in times of difficulty. Um, And then in the other sense, to continue to strengthen in kingdom ways so that we become more resilient over time. And so there were several phrases Uh, or several places in Scripture that I found this phrase, be strong and take heart. Uh, But one of my favorites was Psalm 27. I want to read that for you. Um, There's so much goodness. This is one of my favorite Psalms, I'd say. Um, And you remember, like, in a lot of those early Psalms, the Psalms of David, this is kind of David on the run. Um, He's He's been promised that he's going to be the king, but he's facing tremendous adversity. He's being chased by Saul and all these people all over uh, the countryside, um, and he's, he's spending a lot of time having to work through the incongruence between his present situation and what he knows that God 
has laid on his heart. And that's what he's really trying to work out in songs. This is uh, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his holy temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me, and his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes or false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. One of the things that I really appreciate about Scripture these days something that's become very uh, meaningful to me is how deadly honest so much of Scripture actually is. And I don't know that we always recognize that because we live in an optimistic culture. Um, we live in an escapist culture, which is, I don't know what the chicken or the egg, I don't know if it's American Christianity influence, American culture, or vice versa. Um, but we often we think that we're perceiving and persevering through hard things, but we're actually doing a seeking to escape those things. That it's very much part of our ethos that we diminish hard things. Uh, we try to find the silver lining. That's what we mean by optimism, is kind of like emphasizing the positive at the expense of reality. Um, and we commend that in ourselves and in other people. But the problem is then that hard things continue to happen. And then we hit a wall, and we don't know what to do. And I do think, you know, we've been talking a little bit about kind of this kind of great deconstruction that we're in, specifically in kind of the millennial Gen Z generation. And I think a lot of it is because our generation has been sold short when it comes to understanding the depth and the vitality of faith. We've been given a very optimistic faith. We've been given escapist theology. Um, you know, the whole world's going to burn, so we're just going to fly away and we're going to be in heaven and play little harps with little baby angels and such, um, that we don't know how to do hard stuff. And the tragedy is, in Scripture, it's been there the whole time. You know, we see, even here with, with David, like, 
There's no blind optimism to David. In, in fact, something like 50 to 70% of the Psalms are Psalms of grieving and mourning and shaking your fist at heaven and being like, God, where the hell are you? Like that is part of the faith, but because we're so inoculated by blind optimism, we can't possibly see that. But it's not hopeless. That's the other part of it. I think that's what we're afraid of if we let go of blind optimism, if we let go of escapist religion, um, is that we become hopeless. But what we find in Scripture time and again is it is profoundly honest to the present moment, but that actually illuminates the call to hope on a much deeper level. And what we see then is that David or Ecclesiasticus or Jesus himself or Paul, what they do when they articulate clearly how hard it is to be alive and how much trouble there is in the world, that they recognize that they need to call on God for strength in times of trouble. And so they prioritize intimacy with God first and foremost, or they learn how to ask for help. Because you and I, when we're stuck in a religion of blind optimism, we don't ask for help. We do it ourselves. One of our highest values as Americans is self-sufficiency. And we feel ashamed, actually, if we have to, act, we have to ask somebody for help. And so we, we internalize all of these little quips and phrases some of which are vaguely related to the Bible, and we call that our faith. And we just, if I just squinch my eyes and, and ball up my fists enough and say how hard I believe, maybe all my problems will go away. But what we see the patterns with David and with these other greats in Scripture is that the more that we spend time with God, the more we learn how to trust Him, the more that hope brews within us in the face of overwhelming trouble. So I want, to, I want to give you some time. I'm going to give you three, four, five minutes to turn to the people that are next to you, and I want you to, to just discuss this question. What does be strong and take heart speak to you? Not in a prescriptive way, but I hope that the language is already igniting something within you, something in your divine imagination that makes you curious to say, wow, that you know, I'm really, as I'm looking at be strong and I'm looking at take heart, it's kind of eliciting some of these images, or I'm thinking about those scriptures, or I wonder if it means this kind of growth. And so uh, what does be, be strong and take heart speak to you, and what do you anticipate that it might mean for us as a community? If you're brand new, you're exempt from that question, but I really hope that you would uh, think about how our vision would, would uh, shift the people in our church. So I'm going to give you four or five minutes, turn to one another, uh, just have a little discussion.
Give you about 30 more seconds to wrap up your thoughts. All right, so bring it back around. So let's just get a couple responses. <clears throat> um, what does be strong and take heart? What does it speak to you? What does it, what does it do inside of you? Anybody want to share? Okay. Nicholas. Um, I think for me it was, um, especially for, you know, coming from last year and the growth I've seen, in, even in myself personally, um, that there's, Mm. Um, and vulnerability is strength. Um, me and Maddie were talking about, you know, the taking heart aspect of that is, you know, really with the gentleness with ourselves for being vulnerable, um, but when receiving someone else's vulnerability, um, taking heart and being able to accept it mm. for them um, and not feel prescriptive. Um, I think that's something that, you know, we can get into what, what that might be for us as a community. Um, would it would be if we all really embody that vulnerableness with or vulnerability with each other um, in a gentle way, like I'm stronger in those relationships and being able to be. Because um, even just seeing in, in my personal life and you know in our small group, um, I've seen a lot of growth in myself from a vulnerability aspect, and I've seen the wins from that um, that have been really fulfilling with our small group, with my relationships, and even other personal relationships in my life. It's great. It's great. Who else? What did it stir up in you? Okay. You're welcome. <laughs> Anyone else? Norb? Yeah, I think it's, it's a strange kingdom irony that we, maturity means a, a deeper acceptance of our reliance upon God, as opposed to maturity means becoming more self-sufficient, right? Which I think is, is very strange, and it's not what a lot of us grew up with, right? I remember, you know, the, the usual pattern of people giving testimony a lot of times growing up was like, yes, I was a mess, and then I met Jesus, and now I'm fine, right? Yeah. Like, I used to, like, do drugs and ride motorcycles and get tattoos, but now 
like I run a Fortune 500 company, you know, and I've been married to the same person for 20 years or whatever. Like now everything's awesome. And it, it's funny, like praise the Lord if that's somebody's testimony, if you're in here and you gave up riding motorcycles and getting tattoos, blessings upon thee and thine endeavors. Um, but it, it reinforces this thing that we have in our culture that's like, it's about just becoming stronger and more independent and like overcoming things. Um, and that's a lot of what I, th- I anticipate that we're going to undo this year. So I think about, again, these kind of two halves of what I feel like the Lord is saying to us um, in, in this uh, vision for the year in terms of what I, I hope that we can expect. Um, and the first is this, we are already stronger than we think. Um, I think that's really, really important because sometimes when we talk about strength, immediately we're going to focus on how we are not strong. And so part of it is learning that we need to slow down. We need to learn to see through the eyes of God and bless the strength that we already have, especially when we're in the middle of something. It's, that's the time when it's very, very hard to recognize how strong we really are. Um, one of my favorite passages of scriptures in the book of First John and the writers begin this kind of huge theological treatise through the first chapter of 1 John, and they're going to the second, and they're talking about these just really big ideas of God and, and, and Christ as the Word and all of this. And then they kind of pause in the middle of chapter 2, and there's this, there's this poem that they write. So it's like, literally, I think 1 John chapter 1, is, it's like in the Greek, it's like one big run-on sentence. It's like this and this and that, and there's like, okay, hold on a second, slow down. And they go, I, I want to write to you to remind you, and this is, the, this is 1 John 2, 14. I've written to you, young people, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have conquered the evil one. And you can imagine what it must have felt like to receive that letter. Uh, you know, you're in this, like, small, fledgling community, um, probably in, like, southwest Turkey. Like, you're, a mi- you're definitely of the minority that are kind of working through something, and someone goes, hold, hold on a second. Like, before we go any farther, before we continue to talk about what God is doing in the world, I just really need you to remember that you're a lot stronger than you think. And the word of God is all, like, you, you have it. It's not, you're not trying to achieve this thing. You're not hoping, boy, if I really am a good little Christian boy or Christian girl, maybe I'll get the Holy Spirit. Like, no, you have it. Like the word of God already lives within you and you've already overcome or conquered the evil one. And so I think part of this year is going to be reminding us of how strong we really are. I was really enamored with this idea in the, in the fall series that we did on Galatians 6 uh, of anti-fragility. I've become rather obsessed with this idea that, you know, we, we think normally like we are fragile creatures and, and something is fragile when it breaks easily under pressure. I could take a glass and I could just drop it and it would smash because it's fragile. And we've learned sometimes, again, from our surrounding culture that we are fragile creatures. And what doesn't kill us uh, makes us weaker. And we've internalized that message in a lot of ways. And we think we are not capable of meeting modern life the way that it is. And and that's what kind of can breed uh, a victim mentality within us. It can keep us small. It can keep us from doing uh, amazing things for Jesus. It keeps us hiding away from the world when we believe that we're fragile. Because the opposite of fragile is to be robust. Um, and, and things that are robust, they're strong 
but they're immovable and they don't change. And you can put a lot of pressure on them. Think about like a, like a brick or a cinder block. Like it's, it's robust. Um, you can push on it or move it around, but it doesn't give in any way. And we know that that's not what we're called to either. But the idea of something being anti-fragile, it's been first kind of seen as a theory in, uh, in economic theory, but people are applying it now to um, the human like the, the human being, is that when you, you actually push, put pressure on something and it resists and then it actually grows and becomes stronger because of the pressure that's being put on it. Um, so it's called post-traumatic growth, that we grow as we do experience hard things. Um, I've heard this strange rumor about this thing called working out where you take heavy things and you lift them a whole bunch of times and then your muscles get bigger. I think that's how you do it, right? That's how I do it. You should see me at home like, <laughs> like Mr. Bean. You know? um, but like your, your muscles are an anti-fragile system. The more that you lift weights, the more you exert pressure, what you're doing essentially is you're traumatizing your muscles and you're ripping them, right? Like that's literally what's happening on a cellular level is you're, you're ripping your muscles and then they grow back, but they grow back stronger. And every system in you as a human being, not just the physical system, is an anti-fragile system. The more that you uh, bear trauma, small traumas, I'm not talking about, you know, like obviously there are big things that can shake us to the core, but when you endure hard things the right way, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, it grows these sp um, spiritual, emotional, and intellectual muscles, and you actually become stronger for the things that you're learning how to endure. And so that's the concept of anti-fragility. And I think that's going to be a lot of what God does in our community, is reminding us that we're already stronger than we think. We're going to become more resilient, but we're not going to become hardened. We're not just simply robust, but we actually become anti-fragile and resilient. And then the second thing, that God will strengthen us in kingdom ways. So we are already strong, and also God will strengthen us. And as I've kind of intimated before, the, you know, the world around us champions a certain kind of strength. And the, the vision of strength that we get from the world around us means strength is invulnerability. So I really like that Nick was bringing this up. Like, it's, it seems counterintuitive to us that vulnerability is a strength. Worship team, you can come up. That was... Yeah, you're fine. We think that strength means to be invulnerable, to be unyielding, to be self-reliant, uh, and to be prideful. You know, we've talked about this with, with virtues, that in the ancient world, the, the Greco-Roman world, they shared a lot of the virtues um, with their Hebrew and Christian companions, um, but humility was never a virtue in the Rome, for the Romans. They would think, why would you be humble? Like, what a waste of energy. Like, you have to tell people how awesome you are and claim all of the things. This is, this is going to be the year of you. Like, you need to just claim how awesome you are and all the great things that you've accomplished. And it was complete, you know, genre changer when the Christian writers came along and started elevating humility as a virtue. And so it's, it's moving away from self-reliance to a very particular form of reliance upon God that we mature in him, recognizing uh, that our need for him grows day by day. And so as followers of Jesus, we recognize 
that his strength is made perfect in our weakness, which seems like a paradox to us, that we become stronger the more that we recognize and embrace our weaknesses, um, that our strength is grounded in that sense of humility, a very keen awareness of who we really are, what we are capable of, what we are not capable of, and bringing all of that before the Lord, knowing that he doesn't judge us for those things, but celebrates when we want to partner with him uh, in order to grow. Um, we recognize that strength is vulnerability. It's openness. It's being transparent with God and with one another, no longer hiding from God, no longer hiding from each other, and, and probably, perhaps most importantly, no longer hiding from ourselves, no longer seeking to convince ourselves of something uh, that's not true and learning this deep trust in God. So what we're going to do is I want you to turn back to the groups um, that you were in, in discussion, and I want you just to spend some time in prayer with one another, just like seeking the Lord's face, asking him to bless us over this year that we would be faithful. Whatever the Lord stirs up in you to intercede for our church and for yourself in those arenas, specifically of recognizing the strength that we already have, but also trusting that God is going to strengthen us in kingdom ways. So I want you to turn, uh, and let's just spend a couple moments in prayer. Heavenly Father, I, um, I thank you so much for a community of people who earnestly believe um, not only 
uh, are we capable of hearing your voice that you eagerly desire to speak to each one of us? Um, that we don't need a Moses to go up on the mountain on our behalf in order to confer with you about where we're headed, but that we're all capable of contributing to that in some way. And Lord, we pray that over this next year, as you teach us what it means to be strong and take heart, that you would radically shift our understandings of strength, um, of humility, of our dependence upon you and upon one another. And God, I pray that even, even now you would be continuing to give us each um, visions and dreams, not that prescribe the year, not that they lay it out for us in a manageable way, but um, in a way that it draws us into awe and wonder about who you are, that you are the living God who continues to be present to us in ways that we can uh, just barely grasp. And so bless this uh, year, Lord. Bless our time, even in this week as we're preparing uh, to come in next week and seek you for personal vision for each of our lives. Um, we celebrate that you are here, that you are with us, that you are for us, and that you turn curses into blessings. We pray all these things in the strong name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.